Hey, yo, before we get into the show, I want to tell you a little bit about Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, Black, and Indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, professional development, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released abolitionist teaching workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they've been called the future of educational justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or by visiting quetzalec.com. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting GetzalEC.com on their Connect With Us page. And now, time for the show. No, that's it. right now it's like you are man you're hitting up that bargaining teamwork man uh, that's, I, I don't know I don't that's know. there's so that's that's what they call the lord's work bro because it's not easy <laughs> um <laughs> yeah and i'm out here i don't even man working so, on that graduate degree working and on being that. on colorado teacher of the year man and, and and doing all the other stuff i know people like ask me how i do all of it and I, it's just like a blur i'm like do all the what like it's just my life right now <laughs> like, like, i don't know I just remember our our dude, Dr. William Anderson. I saw his office at DU, bruh. Yeah. I was like, nice. You got it styled out. It's well, because you know the university built a whole building for the College of Education. I did not know. So, yeah, I I did not know this either. And then I went and uh, I was like, dang, everybody's here. Um, And I saw saw William the Thrillium um, up there in his office. It was pretty wild. Um, yeah, I'm trying. So I had this, uh, so y- you've seen me come in the building at times, right? I'm yes. like carrying everything. I- I'm like training everything. for my next, I'm going to be helping people go up Everest. That's my next career. Cause I already know. <laughs> A Sherpa. So, yeah. And so, well, I'm not from that culture, but I'll be able to carry things. But you know? I, you're, 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 you'll be learning. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's funny because I'm, they're like, Oh, you look like you're moving. I'm like, I have my whole life on my back right here. Like this backpack is my job. <laughs> this messenger bag is is grad school. This big cooler is my food because I need to eat. And then I've got workout clothes, like just in case <laughs> I like it. So it's just a trip. Um, yo, we are out here. Um, welcome to another episode 
uh, of Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. My name is Gerardo Munoz. And I am Kevin Adams. And we are here on um, on, a, on a sunny October day, wouldn't you say? Yes, yes. It, it's, it's getting colder. Yeah. Definitely getting colder, but sunny today, sunny right now. I think yeah. there's some weather on the way. You, oh, really? I believe so. Tomorrow there's supposed to Wait, what kind of weather? I think it's supposed to be some rain and possible, you know, when they say that rain snow mix. Oh, bro, nah. Oh, that's yeah, that's what it. I heard. I see that's it. My 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 weather app, which you can't see because of my background, is telling me <laughs> that there's rain possibly with snow. That's that's wild. Um now you been? You know, um, <laughs> I feel like again. That's a loaded question these days, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm above ground. I am kicking, uh, you know, and I'm doing all the things that I have to do uh, with, with constant questioning of if I'm doing it well or right. <laughs> I mean, define well and define right. I mean, you know, right now, you and I had an incident. Not, not that makes it sound like we were fighting. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. There was an incident. You know, I often have incidents with people who don't know that they had incidents with me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we had a we had a thing happen um, a couple of weeks ago where we were going to work together and do a little bit of planning. And then you weren't able to do it because you got called in to do coverage. And I think that's like one of the things that's really hard about being a teacher right now, like across the system, not just at our school. There are Everywhere. literally just not enough humans in education right now, <laughs> like all of us is doing our job plus one or two other jobs on a daily basis. And I think that when it comes to, am I doing this well enough? There's also the question of, is the capacity there for me to actually, you know, do what I need to do um, to the best of my ability? I think that's a real question right now. So are you doing well enough? Yeah, bro, you're enough, baby. I mean, I guess so, you know, but I think always you, you, you're the toughest critic, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think probably compared to others, I, I don't know. I guess I'm doing well, you know, but, but again, the others, like we should I, name names. Who are those others? Oh, I, I, I won't do that. Cause they probably no, come back good. and be like, Hey, you ain't doing nothing. You ain't, <laughs> you ain't got nothing. But in my that's mind, right. I'm doing well, you know, cause that's, cause that's right. what I'm about. I got a positive self-image, You do, uh, but you know, it's, I feel like that's, that's the challenge right now in education is it, I think we I think we are in different times, you know, yeah. things have changed and, and just trying some different approaches. And I, and, and, you know, I think trying to be transformative or liberatory yeah. is, is hard. It's not easy. It's yeah. not an easy process. And there's a lot that goes into it. Um, well, and if we, if, if it was easy, we wouldn't have to be liberated. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't even be sweating it, you know? And yeah. so that that's where I'm at. It's um, I think a realistic perspective, but 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 uh, getting through it, getting through yeah. it, and the joy of, of being. I still just love the kids uh, being back yeah. in person and and just yeah. seeing them be themselves and and go through the process and readjust to to all the demands yeah. you know that are being placed upon them. Even though I don't know, if, like you know, I think they're still getting used to like. Hey, I haven't seen my people in a long time. Yeah. And definitely. I still think that's a priority for them. We got to we got to do we got to do an episode where you just kind of talk a little bit about that because what we're kind of coming back to like like we're realizing that the loss that has happened like what this pandemic has cost us um academics are only a small part of that. 
That's like, right. There have been much heavier costs that aren't being talked about. Um, and we're going to need to talk about them. Whoa. <laughs> Something is happening outside. No idea. Uh -oh. Do you do you notice? We're for those of you I don't who, notice anything. For the I, those for of my... you who are are just getting the audio version of this because it's the only version, um, we we are not in the same room currently. We are in the same building, but we want to be unmasked, and that's yes. how we want to do this, yes. right? And be safe. I just want to see your sweet face, man. That's, that's it. That's, that's all it. it is. That's all that's it is. It. So speaking of the like the well, what about you? How you doing? How how are you? Man, I am. I'm great, honestly. And um, I'm busy and I'm exhausted all the time. And I kind of like I'm on muscle memory at this point, kind of like, OK, I know I go in this direction at this time. <laughs> and then I drive to this place and that. Kind of, no, nah, man, it's good. I'm staying real busy. Um, you know, my my grad school program is is amazing. I'm enjoying it so much. I'm learning so much. Um, I feel like I'm the least intelligent person in the room most times, but I feel like that's a, oh, that's good for me on a, on a number of levels. <laughs> um, and so that's been kind of fun. I also, um, I'm getting ready to go to D.C., man. There you go. Go to D.C. Ready. What are you going to D.C. for? So uh, cause problems. <laughs> cause problems. Stir up tr no. Good trouble. A good, good trouble. trouble. Yeah, that's right. In in the legacy of the late uh, John Lewis, uh, trying to trying to make some good trouble. Yeah, no, they're uh, they're hosting um, all of us state teachers of the year for probably our last in person like official event together uh, during our term. Actually, we're about to announce the 2022 Colorado Teacher of the Year in a couple of weeks. And, Very exciting. Uh, so then my term will start drawing to a close. And um, so we're going to be out there. It's called Washington Week. We get to meet some policy folks. Uh, I, I have received an email saying that it is OK for me to tell everybody that there will also be a White House visit. So your boy is going to be up in the White House or maybe on the White House lawn. I don't know which we're going to be in. Well, remember that number one, my favorite question is to ask about the history of the White House and who built it and yes. where those people stayed and all of that important information to put them no on blast doubt. constantly. So yeah, we got to do it. 320 crew, you got to make sure you do that. Um, so I got that. Um, and I'm still like vibing over the fact that I got to meet Kid Merrill last week. Yes, like, shout that was out. Cool. And, How was um, that? We still haven't chopped it up about that. No, we haven't. I'll have to tell you about it. That dude is funny. And actually one of the one of the biggest hearts that I've like ever been on a zoom call with, like the dude is just full of love and just super dope and hoping we can figure something out. No, I'm yes. Yes. We gotta figure it out. It might be something to figure out. Um, but you know what I'm really excited about right What's now? What's that? I am excited. I am hype. Like the kids don't say hyped. They say hype. Yes. I am hyped about what you all in the two dope nation are about to receive kevin what are they about to receive they are about to hear an interview with the eminent scholar and and thinker and and pedagogist and artist artist goldie muhammad the author of the the highly popular if you haven't checked it out cultivating genius seminal even it it, it it is a powerful book i think for all educators um looking to educate black students bipoc students um a really powerful very powerful book with tons of great strategies a clear framework 
things that you like I read that book and there were things that I was like I can every day I read it things that I can implement the next day yeah. and so I think it is like Dr. Muhammad is so powerful such a thinker and I just think that the people will be deeply moved and inspired by this interview I, I agree and um and, and learn spoiler- a lot Learn a lot. And spoiler alert, you're not, you won't hear Kevin right away. It's not because I'm monopolizing and silencing um, my brother over here. Uh, he was pulled into some professional obligations. We may or may not be recording this during um, a time. And, uh, you know, so he, he comes late, but as you're going to find out, he comes right on time. He is on time <laughs> for this. Yeah, we, we were able, we reached out to Dr. Muhammad via Twitter Um she loved the name of the podcast. I mean, that's why it is, man. Come for the name, stay for the conversation. That's right? it. That's we it. We also get a fire top five from her. Yeah. So that's pretty wonderful. Yes. So we just want to invite y'all to sit back, relax, enjoy some wisdom, some artistry, some creativity, and some laughs. Myself, Gerardo Munoz, Kevin Adams with Dr. Goldie Muhammad. Hey, what's what's up? Well, that was easy for me to say. What is up, everybody? It's me, Gerardo Munoz, sans Kevin for the moment. Kev, I hope is going to be here. He got caught up in some school-related things, and we are definitely two uh, school teachers in the city of Denver right now, Um, but you are listening to Two Dope Teachers in a Mic, and it just really, really, really gives me incredible pleasure and humility and fanboying status and all that kind of stuff to introduce to you our guest dr goldie muhammad dr muhammad how are you i am well thank you i'm so happy to be upon amongst the dopeness of the podcast (laughs) so thank you for having me i would argue that you are more than amongst it but you were probably bringing most of it at the moment (laughs) um even if kevin makes it into the conversation um i do not think that uh we will overwhelm the amount of dopeness that you have so we just really appreciate you being here for those of you who don't follow dr muhammad's work follow dr muhammad's work um professor at georgia state university and uh or or no no i i just returned to my alma mater um this summer (laughs) so late this summer i started um at university of illinois at chicago which is where i finished my graduate studies and now i'm an associate professor of language and literacy there i love it University of Illinois at Chicago. Shout out to Justin Johnson, uh, my good friend who is the Illinois Teacher of the Year, uh, teaches band uh, in the area. Y'all should connect at some point. So, uh, well, thank you for the correction. Really appreciate it. Um, We've been so excited to have you um, on the podcast, Dr. Muhammad, because so much of your work is just so transformational and so refreshing and so powerful. Um, I've been teaching this my 23rd year as a teacher and I needed your book 23 years ago. (laughs) And um, it's just got so many wonderful lessons. So I want to talk with you a little bit about some of the lessons from the book and then some of the bigger picture projects that you're working on. And if we have time, we'll get to uh, we'll get to some uh, top five rapper talk. Uh, which is something that we like to do here on the show. So, um, so your book, Cultivating Genius, which 
deals with the topic of culturally and historically responsive literacy mm -hmm. um is his is a book that has been recommended all over the place i got it as soon as um it came out and it's a really fascinating book there are five sort of dispositions i forget what you call them um that you sort of focus on can you talk a little bit about what those are um and kind of how you came to those uh, to that understanding sure yeah so um i studied black history black literacies black educational um educate educational history as well and um particularly i studied communities called black literary societies yeah which started in the 1800s and i would read what you know our ancestors wrote about education about thinking about learning and it, it was it was making me think about um education today and how i can be a better teacher and so in studying some of these artifacts and archives, I came to five major pursuits, pursuits or the components of learning. Uh -huh. They had five major goals or pursuits for learning, and they called their learning standards pursuits. And mm. I thought that was like a very interesting word because, you know, you've been teaching 23 years. You know the feeling of standard versus the feeling of pursuit. Yeah. A standard is like kind of a bit small in comparison. It comes from someone Agreed. else. There's a ceiling, there's a stopping point. A yes. pursuit means it's more self-driven and evolving and purposeful. Oh, wow. And yeah, so their pursuits were um, identity development. As they were learning, they were coming closer to who they are hmm. um, in a sense of self. They were also learning the pursuit of skills. They were learning the skills and proficiencies needed across math, science, and language, and arts, and history. They were, number three, learning the pursuit of intellectualism. They were striving toward knowledge put into action. The fourth pursuit um, involves abolition, too, is criticality which is they wanted to claim language and ways to use it to make the world better. So they were using criticality and developing it as a way of naming, disrupting oppression in the world. And then the fifth pursuit is joy. They were experiencing and acting beauty, the aesthetics, truth, justice, yeah. um, that's among us. And these five pursuits became a collective model that I brought into contemporary times into schools and classrooms today to take up, to bring a different type of pedagogy to our children. One that is, is steeped in this um, historical black genius. Yeah. And I think the thing that is so um, striking to me is, is, as I read and reread your work, is that a lot of our sort of culturally responsive pedagogy that we're rolling out at the district at district levels um, through you know traditional systems of education promotes CRE as if it's a as, as if it's like this kind of newfangled adjustment to education. And what's so striking to me about your work is that you are rooting it in with terms like restore, recover, um, draw from history. Like these are things that are really interesting because I think you're one of the only um, folks that 
whose name comes across our desk as teachers who is saying, no, we're not looking at something new. We're not reinventing. So we're actually going back into history. Um, so can you can you talk about how why it's important to view education and educational equity through this lens rather than we have this new thing and we got to do this new thing because we don't do this new thing. We're beginning doing old things. This is a reach back to history. Well, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting reach, reach back in history to uh, do better today because it's better. <laughs> it's <for laughs> there you go. If you told me that like um, something else was better for children, I'll be for that too. There you go. You there know, you go. It, it's, it's really about what's more advanced, what's more rigorous, what's more yeah. intellectual, what's better for our children. Right. And it just so happens and ironically that to know what to do for the future of education, we have to go to the past. <laughs> and yeah. usually... You know the his the history isn't really seen as like oh uh, advancement or technology or innovation. That's right. But you know they had they were doing more um, stronger pursuits than we uh, do today than we mandate mm. uh, today in schools. Mm -hmm. And so because and I'm not the first to say this and to right. sort of adhere to this Sankofa uh, ideology. Um, yeah. The future is best served when we go back. Um, and I won't be the last to say it, but, no. you know, there's something beautiful that was there. And I think we talk a lot about the pains and the oppression of history, but we had groups of people who were doing something beautiful that we can learn from to thrive today. And that's really what it's about is really uh, going with what's most excellent. And that's what yeah. I've been taught to do. If yeah. you're most excellent, I want to be on your team. I want to be you go. You. And that's what, these are the most excellent models. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, two points. And one that just really got me deep, you talked about when we go back into history, we we can't we we see the pain that there's a lot of history um of pain especially when it comes to experience experiences of uh black people in america um and people of color more generally as well and um but i i think that this is such a humanizing approach because you are quite literally ascribing more human characteristics to folks who were impacted and forced into enslavement. And so the, these are the, there's these legacies that are there, but there's also this really vibrant intellectual activity um, that, that sounds like was happening. Um, let me ask you about these, um, these literary societies. Um, when you were researching these, when you were learning about these and kind of applying them as, as, uh, as a praxis, um, where are there some examples that come up about the like where these literary societies happen how one of them maybe started what they were studying and talking about did, did you get into some of those oh yeah um you know before black literary societies there were anti-slavery societies mm. um benevolent societies moral societies wow. <laughs> they had religious societies the word societies became um, a way of naming organized efforts uh, by African-American people. And so there's a history of organization, of collectivism, 
of coming together to read, write, think, uh, learn from each other, uh, get your mind right, get your heart right. Get your There's mind right, that's right. This And get your religion right, because, mm. you know, a lot of these societies were, you know, heavily steeped in religion. And yeah. so they sort of then repurposed themselves into Black literary societies where it was more focused on education and reading and writing and thinking and debating and things like that. Right. And then later when they sort of dissolved, they repurposed themselves into historically Black sororities and fraternities in the 1900s. Okay. So it's like a legacy that continues and that yeah. they were sort of adapting to the times around them. There, there were situations... Yeah. But what was important was, was having these communities that had a set of values. Yeah, and, and you still see this repurposing today. I mean, you still see this sense of collectivism and new organization and new organized efforts. Um, even with my summer writing institute, Black Girls Write, mm -hmm. I like to think of it as like a contemporary uh, literary society. And so while these started in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, DC, Connecticut, you know, those uh, cities and areas in the Northeastern part of our nation, they started to spread a little further out yeah. as, you know, we, we reclaimed our own power and, and, and more liberties and things like that. Yeah. So that's amazing. I, I, I thank you for that. Um, for these examples, because I think that it's not just saying that there is a great thing that happened in the past, but it, but it's a legacy that's continued over centuries, and it doesn't always have the same name, but it always has the same sort of, um, to your point, pursuits, right? Yeah. Um, so I've been doing, um, in my graduate school work, I'm taking a class on uh, that's an analysis of teaching, right? And so I've got frameworks on the brain right now. And these kind of like different ways of looking at frameworks and realizing that frameworks. Um, I heard an interview with Charlotte Danielson, who had done one of the, I forget which framework it was. And uh, she talks about how using a framework for using her framework for evaluation was actually sort of the lowest common denominator that there are much greater things that can be done with the framework. And so that kind of brings me to a question about your framework. It's so um, clearly defined. Um, and so it, it's just there are aspects of it that are common sense, but the thread is so powerful and so important. Who would you say that the framework that you write about in Cultivating Genius is for? Um, and what are the greatest sort of manifestations of the framework that, that you have written about? You know, so I, I think I think the way art works, right? You start with saying this was the intention and the thought mm -hmm. behind it. <laughs> right. And then you allow yourself to be open for the beautiful ways that your art can manifest, right? Mm. I oh, I love that. that. I love that. Yeah, you know, my intention and first thinking around it, and I think it's okay to have first, second, third thinking around frameworks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because today I know more than what I knew yesterday. Mm. And uh, so my first thinking is, um, this is a pedagogical framework. This is one that's for teaching and learning and to help uh, structure pedagogy in terms of lesson plans and unit plans and what we teach and how we teach it. Um, and then it has also then, you know, my next thinking has turned into um, 
This is also around assessment. This is also around teacher observation and evaluation. How are they teaching and uh, successfully these five pursuits? Um, I have seen it as a benchmark assessment. So where I started to create benchmark assessments around these five pursuits so that we're collecting more data in not just skill, reading and writing and reading right. uh, re uh, math levels, right? With yeah. skills. Um, it has it has morphed into um, people using the, the model to think about business and oh, diversity yeah. equity, you know, so I've been working like mm -hmm. I work with ad color and Google and um, they're even wow. thinking about how do these five pursuits show up in our company and our ways our interview protocol, you know, I have talked to doctors of how these five pursuits show up in healthcare and making sure we're safe in those spaces. So, you know, that's the openness of art and creation and development is it, if when you create something beautiful, and I do believe it's beautiful, this model. I agree, I agree. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for me to say that, because yeah. I, I felt the beauty when I was writing Cultivating Genius, and when you create something beautiful, I think it can, it can have longevity mm. and it can go into multiple spaces that you did not initially yeah. imagine. And um, it can have sustainability and like be mm. timeless in some ways. Yeah. And, and that's, that's my hope of the model that yeah. teachers take it and take it into ways that my mind couldn't go initially. I mean, wow. that's the hope. <laughs> wow. That's, I love this because as you know, the academy is often a place where, um, where a scholar is sort of pressured to write the final word on something, right? That yeah. this is what this is, where you are, for, and, for, and like, before I say that, to characterize this as a piece of art is so beautiful and so apt because I think that there's there's creativity behind this thinking and the fact that it is flexible and it is something that can be built upon, I think is, is really beautiful. Um, so what you're sort of saying is that cultivating genius is is open to cultivation, right? That <laughs> you can um, build off of it. There are other places where it can go. Um, and I love this point, you know, the, the thing that I, that I really think is uh, wonderful, there's, there, as, as a teacher, as an early service teacher, I was really focused on, on praxis, like, okay, how, how do I do, what are the assignments that I should be given, giving, and, and what are the specific lessons, and then as I kind of grew, I started to think bigger, this work does both, um, particularly the, uh, I think it's um I think it's in chapter three where you talk a little bit about identity and um the notions around identity formation are really complex and really deep and philosophical. And then you go into, and here's how you work with identity with young people. And yeah. I just am so into that. Was was that something that came kind of naturally to you, the pedagogy and praxis thing, or did you have to do work on one end or the other to kind of get into that mind space? Um, no, I came very natural. I mean, that's mm. one of the only things that come natural in life. <laughs> else I feel like I had to really work at, um, but pedagogy and praxis and curriculum comes very natural to me. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, my PhD studies didn't as much. I struggled through yeah. it, but you know, we make it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, 
I think part of the reason I struggled in my PhD is because I would see all this scholarship and I would see the schools and I'm like, why this big gap? And I would see like folks putting pressure to write all these articles, but schools weren't changing. Wow. I would notice yeah. that, you know, the American Educational Research Association and these organizations would be in these cities and the policies in these cities weren't serving black and brown children well in schools. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, what am I doing? I asked myself. And so I had I, I feel a part of me to um, always take everything to practice and to um, because I stay in schools. I don't teach like you do, um, like you're a traditional teacher, right. but you know, I teach, uh, I volunteer teach, I teach in the summers, I teach children. I try to keep that empathy of a teacher and what it feels like um, as much as I can. And I know one thing that I learned from teachers is that we need to, we want to move beyond theory and these larger constructs and to put it into actionable, Right. lesson plans unit plans something i can pick up and use tomorrow what do i do with this yeah <laughs> exactly but not just your traditional empty strategies something right. that is very intellectual and different and meaningful and very purposeful compared to a lot of those um you know strategies we've learned in right that. yeah and very student-centered like the 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 recommendations you make through the framework um, really lend themselves to a student-centered, um, you know, uh, set of habits. And, you know, in that sense, you know, having tried out, particularly the identity stuff, the identity work is what resonates most deeply with me. Um, because as a uh, Chicano growing up in the east side of Denver in a predominantly African-American neighborhood, um, the community was beautiful, the community was tight, but I didn't see myself in the community, right? And so I had all these questions about identity when, when I started to come of age. And so those are the things I bring into my classroom. And it makes a classroom, to your point, feel like a society of sorts, right? Yeah. yeah. Like we're getting into these conversations and we're getting into them together. And I think that's what is so beautiful about these. And the strategies aren't overwhelming. It's like you build this and there's deep thinking behind it. Um, but you, it's, it's implementable. I think I just made up a word. Um, it can, it's something that can be implemented um, in a deep and meaningful way. Um, so that's wonderful stuff. Yeah. One, one point. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Something that you said, that's all good. you know, in school, when I was developing this work, I, I really tried to focus on why did they use the word society, you know, yeah. why not um, club or, and they use club or sure. society to describe our organized space. And mm -hmm. if our classrooms today are like liter many literary societies, you know, is there something, there's something more than just organization here. There's something related to like collectivism there's something related to we are trying to build a society to reflect and impact and improve the larger society. So I think like even that language was very purposeful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for unpacking that. I think that's a really important distinction. And I think too, that what the work suggests to me 
is that while we want students to develop skills and to engage in pursuits that will help them grow as individuals, that, that this is going beyond the kind of individualistic imperative that I think has really defined um, education for too long um, and saying that being independent is really good. Being interdependent in your community is really even, that's probably the highest sort of aspiration for our people and for a community is that we learn to be interdependent. We can all support each other. And I think as you describe the word society and why that was an intentional choice and you name collectivism as a, as a habit, um, that's, that's, that definitely pops off the pages to me. It's like, no, this is actually at its best. The framework is a set of interdependent motivated people pursuing excellence sure yeah beautiful, beautiful. ah i love it so much <laughs> this is so great feel full. Good. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we've got i've got a couple more questions and definitely want to be mindful of your time but um one question that comes up for me a lot so in my position as colorado state teacher of the year one of the things i'm working on is how do we diversify the teacher pipeline? How do we ensure that the te that more of the teachers who are in front of our kids um, share some sort of experiences with our kids or that the kids can see themselves in front of the classroom? So when we start looking at the work of Cultivating Genius and your work beyond, you've done so much other work um, in addition to the book, um, how do we engage in this work that is really rooted in black excellence? And that's a program that we have in, in our district, which we can discuss another time. Um, but um, how do we implement a, a program that, um, that comes out of this space when the vast majority of um, public school educators are still white? So I think that there's two things that have to happen at the same time. I okay. think given the current population of teachers we have, we have to educate them. We have to hire conscious white teachers um, who understand justice and yeah. liberation and equity and culturally and historically responsive education. We need yeah. to um, bring those educators in and educate those who are currently here. Yeah. simultaneously because that's who are in front of our babies every day that's right. um, and i think simultaneously we need to go and recruit and entice folks to come into the field to come into yeah. our school i mean it does not matter what um business uh or area we're talking about if we're talking about sports if we're talking about business uh, if you want the best, you go out and get it. You don't That's wait right. for it to right. you or, and you recruit and you, um, you invite, yeah. <laughs> you know, we need to do more recruitment and inviting. And there's certainly lots of programs and partnerships and pipeline programs, even grow your own programs where, you know, the students who graduate the district, they come back and teach in that district. There's right. a lot of great models out there. So people are doing that work, but you know, it has to come with funding. You, you get out, you get the best, you got to come with something. Yeah. You know, education is like one of the only fields, you know, I'm all for like salary equity and resource sure. equity and stuff. But you know, we have to be more imaginative of getting the brightest and best teachers and recruiting. 
I always say, if I get a school recruit me, I'll go back into the classroom. You put the best package in front yeah. of me. Yeah, whatever it is. But, you know, we have to, you know, schools are thinking like of hiring bonuses, resources, um, giving them a small budget, you know, thinking about using our um, our budget differently for more salaries and more supports in the summers. So I think we also have to think of ways to recruit them, but to retain them and keep them to make it like a beautiful profession to have. I think the way in which education is structured right now, it's enticing for some Mm -hmm. and for a lot of us, but it can be enticing to get more uh, genius teachers at the table. Even if we take something like our school day and our schedule, if we created more genius time, genius hours, where we can plan like this incredible, brilliant pedagogy that would bring more teachers in. So that they're not so burnt out or have to teach this disconscious curriculum. Yeah, yeah, disconscious. I love that word too. But yeah, I I agree, and I th- I think that you know, as as it happens, uh, money is helpful in capitalism. Um, <laughs> it's it's just real talk on that end, and well, I it's think energy. It, I mean, yeah. you don't have to worship it, but that's right. You know, it it can be energizing to to help. You know, a lot of times we want teachers to rewrite and adapt uh, their curriculum. And I'm like, can yeah. we pay teachers to do that? At least so that we're showing that we value their time and it is a yeah. lot for them and their families. Yeah, definitely. And when you, when you have cities, I think Chicago is probably like this. Denver is definitely like this where um, salaries just for people in general and wages in general make it very difficult to live in the city that you want to work in. And mm-hmm. so I yeah. think that, you know, I mean, at a very basic level, it's like, you know, Denver, let's try to keep up with the cost of living in this city because the alienation that's happening between uh, kids who live in the city and teachers who don't live in the city, I think is is real. Um, so this is a question from Kevin and um, I'm really kind of curious on this. Uh, so these, the, the underlying kind of philosophy under um, cultivating genius is, is very liberatory and it really is kind of reaching back to find excellence for today. So um, the question we had was when you're working directly with students and where we teach middle and high school, um, how do you recommend instilling abolitionist mindsets when serving children who maybe resist the approach because it's foreign, it's new, it's they've been kind of cut off from it in some ways? they're kind of used to the traditional model of education, which is individualism and uh, and obedience and those kinds of things. Kevin is here. <laughs> Can I have him unpack that for a second? Yeah. I'm right at his question. I know, right at his question. This is good. <laughs> there is the man. Hi, Kevin. We were just talking about you. We just, I just posed your question and I may have done it wrong. <laughs> you wanna? <laughs> you wanna try again? Oh, Dr. Muhammad, it's so good to see you. <laughs> it's so good to be here. I'm sorry, I am late. I've been proctoring the PSAT, and we had extended time in my group. Listen, uh, you're right on time. Uh, perfect, perfect. I love it when a plan comes together. But uh, my question is, you know, um, this year I've been trying to really engage in 
an abolitionist pedagogy in my classroom. I think it's been a priority for me. And I think my question ultimately comes down um, from your perspective, like when we start to engage in this work, it, it really becomes difficult, especially when we're dealing with students who have had some educational trauma um, in their past. And so I just wondered if you had any thoughts, and this is a really personal question, you know, on like, how do we counteract the, the, those moments of educational trauma while still uh, building that, that joy and that interest um, and cultivating the genius that you speak about, you know, in these kind of authentic ways um, when sometimes students might not be, uh, because of their background and their experiences, you know, ready to engage in some of the things um, in an authentic way that it can become transformative for them. If that you makes asked sense. that way better than I did. So yes. Yeah, that, that was a different question too. <laughs> but I, I love both the questions. And, and I, I think, you know, if we think about different types of children here, right? So we might have the child that's like, I don't want to keep talking about this. I, it feels trauma induced. Sometimes as an adult, when we keep teaching and talking about oppression and black pain and black resistance, I get tired. Even some museums I go to, I'm like, woo, that was heavy. Like yes. we need a black joy museum. Why all our museums gotta be so painful? Yes. I mean, I go through that. And I think our children go, go through that too. And, you know, I'm sitting here today and I'm starting to write a black studies curriculum, right? Awesome. And I'm like, this is going to be about genius and joy and Afrofuturism. It's not going to, that, that slavery, that's their history. That's not our history. That's mm. our history don't start with oppression and this and that. And that's, that's the heaviness of it because we don't have enough museums of black joy and, and, and black creativity. We're always, we always had to resist. So I think one approach would be to teach the joy. You know, whatever topic it is, start with the joy and the genius and the innovation and the spirituality and the, the whatever it is that brings that, that fulfillment of beauty first, that will help to balance it out. And every lesson or unit doesn't have to be steeped in pain. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, I know a lot of our history, even our music, right? Even the yep. joyful parts, their quilting is still like pain there. Mm -hmm. And I think we tell the truth about it. We don't just ignore it, but we also teach about Afrofuturism and where in a space of infinite possibilities where you can be and thrive without whiteness, without anything like holding you back, where you can literally um, transport as if you're in outer space. That's what Af Afrofuturism allows one to do. So I think we have to balance that more for our black and brown children. And, you know, for children who just don't want to teach, learn about this, because a lot of our children think that we don't have these problems. That's y'all problems. Kevin, mm -hmm. that's your, your generation's yep, problem. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we teach them. We teach them the contemporary aspects, the historical aspects, and why this matters and why it should matter to you. We make those connections to their lives. You know, a lot of, um, I had a friend who's Middle Eastern, I know that's like a wide identity, but he says, and my father is like this too, he's from Iran, he says, you know, we grow up uh, being very political and understanding justice and power and things. So to say that this is not a part of your 
regular curriculum or pedagogy, that's something that's unique that might be unique to our country. Because a lot of young people have a very strong political sense in mm -hmm. other countries. Yes, but Not just of their own context, but of other countries in addition yeah. to their own. So I think it's about bringing children into the fold of what this is, what it looks like on a global scale, and then what, how it connects to their own lives. And it's not always, we don't, if you don't experience oppression as a young child, that's a beautiful thing. Alhamdulillah, I'm glad. We don't want, if we went through it, we don't want you to go through it. That's right. But that's it right. doesn't mean that young child, I should not teach you what other people go through and what people yeah. have been through. And so they have to understand that. So if it comes up, if it confronts them, they'll know how to navigate any form of oppression and injustice. That makes sense? Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that idea too. This, this, the focus on the joy and the, the like the idea of Afrofuturism and, and the possibility of what comes, you know, from all of it, if when we focus on our joy, our passion, our love that mm -hmm. we grew up with, you know, and I think that that really does help uh, put it in perspective because like, I think I do come at it heavy handed, you know, at times with the kids, I'm like, ah, oh, this, this, you gotta know this. And like, I'm teaching world history and I'm like, we, we aren't even talking about white people. We're talking about the history of all these other people who we haven't learned about. Yeah. But, but I think going back to the joy of it all and why, like, what it is about these other, you know, histories that are so joyous. And, and like, when I read it, I get wrapped up in it and want to transfer myself to these moments and times. And, you know, thinking about before we, we are, have, you know, Western Eurocentric capitalism dominating our whole world, you know, there were different things. And so that, that really does give me perspective on that. So thank you. Yeah. Dr. Muhammad, we definitely want to respect your time. Um, do you have time to give us a top five? <laughs> top five rappers. And right. seasons, so, right? so Kevin's got the ground rules and he does a much better job of explaining the guidelines than I do. So Kevin, will you share with Dr. Muhammad uh, the ground rules for your top five? Yes. So, so we started out saying uh, top five rappers, MCs, but I think that has evolved because we know that, you know, Hip-hop can be problematic. Hip-hop is growing. Hip-hop oh, okay. is, is problematic. It, 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 it's trying, you know, like every, all of us, trying to improve in, in a variety of ways. But again, um, I think we open it up. So if it's not rappers, if it's not MCs, we've had people say, you know, I love R&B music. Uh, and, and they we might have to have a separate, like, top five R&B for some <laughs> folks, because that's, like, come up a lot lately. That's come up a lot. <laughs> that, would, that could be the whole podcast. That it could is, be. <laughs> and then we also, you know, we, we try to be non-hierarchical. So that's it, right. even that's though right. we say top five, you can, you know, have ties for people. It can be you know, not in order that this is like what you're going to hold me to. This is my top five forever. When you see me in the streets, don't get at me because <laughs> that was just a moment. Um, and it could be what you're vibing to right now. It could be all time favorite, but we try to keep it as open as possible for yeah. folks. And then yeah. finally, if you, you can't settle on a top five, we always give the option where you can have ties, uh, where you can go over to top five. You can add addendums. 
Yeah. Uh, so we, take it. We, we give a lot appendix, of there can be an appendix. We call that the uh, Eric Hale rule. Eric Hale is the Texas teacher of the year. And I think by the time he was done with his top five, there were probably 14 performers on it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so oh yeah. I mean, you know, I, I am like a big fan of Stevie Wonder. I'm always going to say uh, one of his songs, he was rapping and you know, he even said, that's how I would sound if I rapped. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my favorite MC is my partner, my future husband, D Jackson. He's a part of a group called 80s Babies. And he wrote an album called Unlearn. And it was about uh, cultivating genius, but we didn't really Yo. realize it at the time. Right. And so, you know, and he's, I, I'm not just saying that because I love him. He's very talented and mm. genius in his approach. And, you know, one thing about MCs and rappers, I mean, it's such a beautiful craft. Yeah. And I mean, to freestyle, to create language and, and art in this way is just, I mean, I'm just in like awe every time I have experienced growing up artists and how they use their voice and to the music, it's just phenomenal. Yeah. So um, I, 80s babies and DJ mm-hmm. definitely. Nice. Uh, I mean, from the sisters, uh, Queen Latifah and um, MC Light. I grew up yes. with them. I love yes. them. I love their cadence and everything. Yeah. Um, I love Tupac, Busta Rhymes, Nas. Um, Kendrick Lamar is like Kata. one of my favorites yeah. now. It's like every time I listen to Kendrick Lamar, he seems greater. Like, like <laughs> it was like, this dude's great. And then I was listening to the song he did with, uh, he, um, that he did with Beyonce on Lemonade. And I was like, he is great. (laughs) And it's like it's new discovery every time. Yeah. And he, you know, I mean, it's just it's just such a beautiful art. You know, when you think about like Bone Thugs and New Orleans rappers, how they use their voice. And I mean, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's great. So those would be some of my people. And, you know, D, um, Dominique, my partner, I always say that, you know, I always tease him and be like, can uh, Positive K is like my favorite MC. Can we do I got him? Oh! <laughs> he do it. What's your man got to do yeah. with me? I got him. With and he refuses. Refuses. That song with me. So, uh, no fun. You know, that's my goal. Maybe Positive K would do it with me. You that's know, right. that's you know right. maybe that's Positive right. K would. Because right. be like, oh, like, my main goal in life is to, <laughs> you know, the girl part, I got that down. Got so it. You right know. Now, I'm doing both parts. I changed even the tone of yeah. my voice and I do both parts, but you know, that's my dream. And, oh, and just like just that. like in your work, it's a beginning, right? And so you build on to it. There's manifestations, <laughs> right? <laughs> so yes. it goes. Exactly. Well, we we so appreciate you uh coming and taking this time with us, Dr. Muhammad, what are you working on right now? Where can people find your work? So um, they can go to healpedagogies.com and, you know, on my social media, Goldie M on Twitter, Instagram, um, I posted, uh, I I usually post like curriculum and um, videos Mm -hmm. and podcasts like this. Mm. Um, Right now I'm working on Today, I wrote a unit plan on sugar with my model, nice. <laughs> science teachers, 
And so I'll probably post that tomorrow. And um, I'm working on a Black Studies curriculum um, for secondary school students, middle and high school. We need and that. We need <laughs> it. Yes. Yeah, we need it. Yeah, it's, it is exciting. It's really exciting, some of the topics. I mean, because when you think about it, if you could just write out topics of Blackness, what would be on your list, right? Oh, and that's where man. I started. Yeah, and it was like, ooh, 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 this is so cool. So um, yeah, I'm constantly just working on curriculum and curricular efforts. And hopefully the next book around um, unearthing genius and joy uh, will come maybe next year. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Maybe just like album. Yes. Yeah, maybe an album. Yes. Maybe an album. I mean, Cornell West did that, right? He took a two year <laughs> off and, and made an album. And that's hard. That's not easy. That, that's oh, it's rigorous not. there. It's not, um, it's, it's an intense <laughs> process. It's like a Yassim Bey said on Talib Kweli's podcast, where where he's like, "Yo, it'll be out when it comes out. <laughs> the book will be out when it's out. You know, it's you art. Rush it. You cannot That's rush right. it or creativity when it's time. It will be just like Kevin arrived when it was time. Exactly, he came right on time. Uh, so, Dr. Muhammad, we like to do a thing um, when we conclude. We say a few words, and then the, the three of us together, if you don't mind, uh, we say "stay dope" together. Does that sound good to you? Stay dope together? Is that what you say? Yeah, we just say stay dope. Uh, not together. Oh, okay. We just say stay dope. Oh, okay. <laughs> that might be an addition. I, I like that. That might be. I mean, because, be you know, that. it's what we were talking about independence versus interdependence, right? You got to be dope together. Uh, so, for our amazing guest, Dr. Goldie Muhammad, author of Cultivating Genius, for my partner who is always on time, Kevin Adams, my name is Gerardo Munoz, and we invite you on this beautiful autumn day to stay focused, stay taking care of yourself, stay in your positive imaginations, stay joyful, and beyond anything else, make sure you always stay low. No. <laughs>